Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Okay, we are back in the uh, parables, series on the parables here, and uh, sell all you have. I am so excited about this message today. I believe this captures the heart of Heartland Church and and our people here. Uh, We are people that have sold all we have. We're people that are all in for Jesus. Let's pray. God, I just thank you, Lord, for the fact that we don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, but you know what's going to happen in the next five decades, Lord. We know that your coming has got to be soon. And Lord, we want to live all out that, that we can right now for your glory and honor. Lord, we ask that you would guide us. When we're going down the, when we're barking up the wrong tree and going down the wrong road, Lord, steer us back. That has been our prayer, Lord, throughout the whole upheaval of, of COVID. We're trusting you to lead us, guide us today now as we look at this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you read the new book, The Case for Heaven? It is outstanding. A journalist investigates evidence for life after death. As you may know, Lee Strobel was an award-winning journalist with the Chicago Tribune. His life was turned topsy-turvy when his wife went to a Bible study and announced to him one day that she had become a Christian. Strobel spent two years trying to prove her wrong before concluding that the evidence that Jesus really had risen from the dead was overwhelming. He could not escape that, and it led him to write The Case for Christ, which has now been made into a movie. Lee had his own near-death experience when his wife found him unconscious some 10 years ago. It turned out he had a rare medical uh, condition that caused his blood sodium level to drop, his brain to swell. He was literally hanging by a shoestring between life and death. And that experience led Lee to write his own book about the afterlife. And from the very first page, (laughs) I was hooked. You know that anthropologist Ernest Becker says, the idea of death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. It is the mainspring of human activity. In fact, the French philosopher Luke Ferry writes, the quest for salvation without God is at the heart of every great philosophy. That is its ultimate objective. Meanwhile, the average American tries his level best not to think about death. Experts call it denial, distraction, and depression. First, we deny. Trying to convince ourselves that maybe I'm the exception. Maybe medicine will find a cure for anything that threatens me. But so far, the death rate is 100%. So, if denial doesn't work, we try distraction, and we pay entertainers, we pay sports stars incredible sums of money to divert our attention from our own mortality. 
And then if denial and distraction doesn't work, there's always depression. The reality of death is the major reason for depression. And it's way higher, get this, way higher among non-churchgoers. Deaths from suicide, alcohol, and drugs is 33% lower among church-going men and 68% lower among church-going women. Guys, come to church. (laughs) It'll extend your lifespan. People talk about an epidemic of suicide, but the real epidemic is rejecting God and the hopelessness that creates It has often been said that you are never able to really live until you're ready to die. I love the way Josh McDowell concludes his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He was just as skeptical as Lee Strobel. He said, I thought every Christian had two brains. One was lost and the other was out looking for it. But he accepted the challenge of his Christian friends. He did the research Did Jesus raise from the dead or not? He did the legwork, and he carefully assessed the pros and cons, and one December evening, 8.30 p.m., he put down, he got down on his hands and knees, and he prayed. Thank thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. And then he confessed his sins. He asked Jesus to forgive him, and he closed with these words, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life as my Savior and Lord. I exchange my will for your will. Thank you for coming into my heart. You know what happened? Josh says, nothing. (laughs) No bolt of lightning. He says, I didn't sprout wings. I didn't dash out to buy a harp. But in six months, Josh says, my entire life was revolutionized. Josh struggled with restlessness, having to always be on the go. He struggled with a temper which could explode at any second. And one more thing, he had a hatred in his heart toward his alcoholic father. He even tried to poison this whiskey bottle. For the first time in his life, Josh said, I could tell my dad I love you. And his dad melted. Six months later, his dad became a Christian. He gave up booze. You see, Josh is one of my heroes. I had uh, dinner with him, the joy, Sue and I, not long ago. You see, since that day when Josh McDowell gave his heart to Jesus over 60 years ago, 60 years have passed, Josh has led countless numbers to Christ. And he says now, that, by the way, that book right there, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, it was life-changing for me. He says now, Josh McDowell, as he said when he was saved, he says, I've got a satisfied mind. Can I ask you today, do you have a satisfied mind? When Josh McDowell found Jesus, he was all in, just like Lee Strobel. Both of these men are living models of the parables that we're looking at today. They found the kingdom (laughs) and they put all of their chips in the middle. And they said, I'm wagering the whole thing. They were ones who sold all they had. They never looked back. 
And that's what Jesus teaches us to do here in these two stories he tells, beginning in Matthew 13, 44. In the process, Jesus reveals seven facts about the kingdom that make it worthy of our pursuit. Fact number one is this, it is priceless. Verse 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure. The Greek word is thesoro. It actually refers to a storehouse of treasure, a container filled with treasures and valuables and precious things. You see, Palestine was a battleground for hundreds of years, so families, to protect their stuff, they would bury it from from plundering soldiers. The famous Jewish historian Josephus tells us that this was a common practice in first century Palestine. You see, over time, Palestine became a treasure house. First the Assyrians came through, then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, then the Egyptians, and now the Romans. They all swept through the land, and they often drove the people off of their land. And then they would confiscate it many times for various reasons. And so many of the people, Israelites, were forced to deport And the treasure was forever lost unless someone accidentally stumbled over it. In the story Jesus tells, a man makes a startling discovery of hidden treasure and he's stunned. We have these kinds of stories today, don't we? Like Indiana Jones in the search for the Holy Grail. Holy Grail comes from medieval literature. And even in our day, this legend just continues to grow. It's often associated with the legendary King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. The Grail is a cup with miraculous powers that provide happiness and eternal youth. Everything that mankind has longed for is wrapped up in the legend of the Grail. And as these tales grew, the grail became associated with the cup that Jesus drank at the Last Supper, which supposedly Joseph of Arimathea used to catch Christ's blood at the crucifixion. The reason this legend has had such staying staying power is because there's a tiny little bit of truth in it. You see, Jesus is the one who offers us eternal life and eternal happiness. In the kingdom, Jesus offers the deepest longings of mankind will be satisfied. But the grail is just a myth that was invented to confuse people. The treasure is Jesus himself. The treasure is the kingdom where he will reign over all. And it's absolutely priceless. Fact number two about the kingdom is that it's hidden. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. The Greek word is krupto. It means to conceal, to be kept secret. Something that is not immediately noticed. Something that is easy to miss. The famous atheist Bertrand Russell was once asked what he would say to God if he found himself standing before him after he died. And Russell replied, 
I would probably ask him, why did you not give us better evidence? (laughs) But folks, you know what? That isn't the problem. I like how Blaise Pascal responded to this. As you may know, Pascal was the brilliant French mathematician. Pascal believed there is sufficient evidence for anyone who honestly seeks. He says God is willing to appear openly to those who seek him with all their hearts, but he is also willing to be hidden from those who flee from him with all their heart. God is visible to those who seek and not to those who don't. There's enough light for those who want to see. The evidence for those who seek is overwhelming. The issue isn't evidence. The issue is the hardness of the human heart. God will not coerce anyone into a relationship with him. He could have stamped made by God on every atom in the universe. But that would eliminate the need to seek. We see this hardness so clearly with the Pharisees. Imagine this. The Pharisees saw firsthand how Jesus healed a paralyzed man at the Bethesda pool. They knew very well that man had been paralyzed for 38 years. You know what their response was? John 5, 18 says they were seeking all the more to kill him. The issue wasn't a lack of evidence. My goodness, we've just seen a guy walk that hasn't walked for 38 years. The issue was not a lack of evidence. The issue was a hard heart. The kingdom of heaven is hidden for a reason because it requires you to seek for it. Now let's move to fact number three about the kingdom of heaven. It's personal. It's personal. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field when a man found it. One man found it. Both this parable and the next center around a single individual. Verse 45, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. One merchant looking for fine pearls. You know what, folks? We each find the kingdom one by one. It is often said that God has no grandchildren, just children. In other words, you can't get to heaven based on your parents' faith. It has to be your faith, personal. This is a very important step in the faith journey of anyone who grows up in a Christian home like I did. It's that moment of time when you make your parents' faith your faith, a personal faith. Our kids have to own it of their own free will. On our Thursday emails, you may have noticed a place where you can order Heartland merchandise. By the way, we don't make a penny off this. Rachel, our creative arts director, has put a Bible verse on the back of our t-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies. It's Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they are the ones who will be filled, satisfied. 
You cannot do that for anyone else. A parent cannot do that for their child. A teacher cannot do that for their student. A pastor cannot do that for his people. You personally have to hunger and thirst for what is right and pleasing to God. For then and only then will you be truly satisfied and content and blessed. And you know what that word blessed means? It means happy. The kingdom of heaven is personal. No one can purchase the ticket for you. You have to attain that ticket for yourself. And you do that by placing your personal faith in Jesus. Fact number four. Fact number four about the kingdom of heaven is this. It is discovered. I want you to notice that Jesus teaches us here that it's discovered in two different ways. Verse 44, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field when a man found it. The Greek word is eurisko, and in this context it means to find by chance, to happen upon to stumble across. The meaning in this verse is that the man accidentally found it. He wasn't really seeking for it, but rather in the course of his daily activities, he happened to find it. Many have testified to this in their own lives. I love the story that missionary Ben Staggs tells in the book, Unseen Footprints. When Ben first visited the Boshu people, in Ethiopia, a tribe that was completely isolated from everyone else, Ben met a man named Galone. And Ben explained to Galone why he had come and it had been to tell him what God was like. And Galone immediately interrupted him. And Galone said, But we must follow Christosi. That was their word for Christ. Ben was surprised. How did you get to know about Jesus? Where did you hear this? And, and Galone explained that Jesus had appeared to him in a dream and told him that it was he, Jesus, who had given Galone his life and his blood and his bones and that Galone was to follow him. And then Ben was startled when Galone said that Jesus had told him, in five more days, someone will come and tell you more. Ben and his team landed on the fifth day. God loves to show up in unusual places. Elijah searched for God in a whirlwind, found him in a whisper. Jacob found him in his dreams. Moses found him in a burning bush. Mag Mary Magdalene looked for him in a tomb, but found him standing behind her. Sometimes we stumble across God seemingly by accident, without consciously looking. And that's what happened in verse 44. But in verse 45, God appears after a diligent search, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking 
four fine pearls. Now, in this case, the Greek word for looking is zeteo. It means to seek by inquiring, to diligently investigate, to conduct a thorough search, to get to the bottom of a matter. And that's what Josh McDowell did, wasn't it? That's what Lee Strobel did. They both did a thorough, exhaustive investigation, sort of like a detective that's looking for clues and seeking to track down a criminal. You see, either way, once you gather the evidence, you're left with a choice, to believe or not to believe. The most famous trial of the 20th century was undoubtedly that of O.J. Simpson. I bet it was 10 times more media attention than the Derek Chauvin trial. Everybody was riveted on the O.J. Simpson trial. The evidence was absolutely compelling and absolutely overwhelming, but we all know that jury was not going to convict him no matter what. And you see, that's how the Pharisees dealt with Jesus. Their attitude was, don't confuse me with the facts. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. The kingdom of heaven is discovered. That's fact number four. Fact number five is this. It's satisfying. Verse 44, Jesus says, when a man found the treasure, he hid it. And then what? In his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. The Greek word for joy is kara. It means delight. It means gladness. It means a deep-seated sense of satisfaction that arises from the knowledge that God's favor rests upon you. It's also defined as a calm gladness, as opposed to the temporary thrill that comes from fortunate circumstances. In other words, it's the kind of satisfaction that's lasting. I mean, we have a lot of things on this earth that bring a short-term pleasure, don't we? Skydiving. Southern-style barbecue. A ride on the wild thing at Valley Fair. Riding with Brad Karja in his new Corvette. (laughs) Now, that'll give you a thrill. The first kiss when you're falling in love. A crackling fire on a cold winter night. Winning a state championship. Ooh, do we have any young men here that are dreaming of that? Sinking a hole in one. Shooting a trophy buck. But the thrills quickly fade. What do you do when you shoot a trophy buck? You got to haul them in from the woods, gut them, you know, bring them to the butcher, et cetera, et cetera. The the thrills quickly fade. (laughs) Is there any place that we can find lasting happiness? 
I love the story Sarah Salviander tells of growing up in an atheist home and and uh, she was mesmerized by the Star Wars movies as a little girl and she was flat out brilliant and she ended up earning, earning a doctorate in astrophysics. But she noticed something very strange the more she researched the universe. She noticed that there is order everywhere. And this order in the universe is so precise, she knew there's got to be a God. And that led her to faith in Christ. But then you know what happened? She lost her first child, was stillborn, a girl. And she was beside herself with grief. But then she experienced something very, very strange as she was grieving. She had a vision one night of her baby girl being gently taken into the arms of God and carried up to heaven. And immediately, her entire mind and body were filled with an indescribable peace. She knew her baby was with Jesus. And it filled her with a joy that she had never known before. The kingdom of heaven is satisfying. It truly brings lasting joy. Fact number six about the kingdom of heaven is this. It is all-encompassing. It is, you, you have to be all in. In verse 44, Jesus said of the man who found the treasure, in his joy, the man went and sold. What did he sell? All he had. That's what he sold, and he bought that field. Verse 46, Jesus used a similar expression to describe what happened to the merchant who found a pearl of great price. Jesus said to that merchant, he went away and he sold what? Everything. He sold everything he had, and he bought it. The same Greek word is used in both verses. It's the word penta. It means the entirety, the whole, every last thing he had of value. He saved nothing for himself. Clearly, Jesus is teaching us here that following him requires an all-out commitment. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's an all or nothing proposition. The best analogy I found in describing this is marriage. On the one hand, marriage is entirely free. No one forces you to get married. You should never get married out of guilt or desperation or pity. And yet it is so easy to do. It literally costs you nothing more than the price of the marriage license. And yet we all know getting married really costs you everything, doesn't it? It is an all-in commitment. How many times I've repeated these words for the bride and the groom, for better, for worse for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as you both shall live. 
When you marry, you pledge. You will be faithful to your beloved. You pledge all of your worldly goods. You pledge all of your hopes and dreams to that person. And Heartland family, that's what following Jesus looks like. Jesus is not only your Savior, he's your Lord. In fact, did you know Jesus is called Savior in the New Testament 24 times? But get this, he is called Lord 722 times. That's a 30 to 1 ratio. For every time Jesus is called Savior, he's called Lord 30 times. Does that tell us something? When you follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. Everything you have. The kingdom of heaven is all-encompassing. And let's move now to the last fact that Jesus stresses. Fact number seven about the kingdom of heaven is that it's immediate. Eternal life begins the moment you receive Christ. You will never die. That is your soul, your spirit will never die. In verse 44, Jesus says that the man sold all he had. He bought the field. He acquired it immediately. And he began enjoying it right away. The same is true of the next parable. Verse 46, Jesus says of the merchant, he went away, he sold everything he had, and he bought it. Again, he acquired it immediately. Now this is in contrast to the parable of the wheat and weeds, where the benefits of the kingdom came at the end of the age. Same thing's taught in the parable of the net. It's also looking forward to the end of the age. When justice is done, the benefits are secure. Parable of bridesmaids, Matthew 25, is also like this. Parable of the talents, Matthew 25. The accounts are settled when the master returns. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. All of these parables speak of future reward, but the parable of the hidden treasure, the parable of the pearl, the benefits, guys, the benefits are immediate. And that's true. The moment you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you begin to partake of the fruit of eternal life. And the fruit is sweet and it's nourishing. And it satisfies. I close with this. In China, I am told that relatively few of those who become Christians fall away from the faith. Now, why is that? It's because they count the cost before they say yes to Jesus. Our Chinese brothers and sisters know what it is to sell all they have to follow Jesus. Today, the Chinese government is cracking down on Chinese believers like never before. Every person in China is under 24-7 surveillance. They are rapidly moving to a cashless society, and that means you can only buy or sell using your cell phone or other device. Their new social credit system is stifling because they monitor all of your behavior on, online, and if your behavior is something the Communist Party approves, you are rewarded, and if the behavior is something that they don't approve, you are punished. So all of a sudden, Chinese are finding that they cannot buy a train ticket, and they cannot fly on an airplane, 
and they cannot eat at a certain restaurant or they cannot take out a loan. Their child is barred from certain schools. In extreme cases, they've lost their job. To be a follower of Christ in China, you got to count the cost. And it may very well cost you all that you have. Recently, the Chinese government even ordered a new translation of the Bible. And they, they are turning the truth of Scripture upside down. For instance, in the story of the woman caught in adultery, Jesus invites those without sin to cast the first stone. Remember that story? And the crowd disappears. And then Jesus forgives the woman. Remember that? In the New Chinese Bible, it says when the crowd disappears, Jesus stoned the woman. <laughs> you imagine that. Now, that's not just a little cosmetic, make, uh, you know, touch-up. That's a wholesale distortion of the truth. Is it coming here? Recently, when we registered for a new email provider, and, of course, in the church... We have a very busy office. We send out tons of emails. So our present carrier wasn't able to handle the volume. Emails were arriving late. We, were, we checked into some alternatives. And uh, we found an excellent email provider. And we were offered the service free. If we did one thing. You know what that one thing was? We must approve of the gay lifestyle. That was the one thing. You either sign a document that say you approve of the gay lifestyle or you pay 600 bucks. Folks, we're paying 600 bucks. Okay? It really doesn't matter if it's 6 million or 6 billion. We're not going to pay that. Okay? We will go without emails before we do that. Hold on to Jesus because it's coming to you. We are living in an age where black and white have been turned upside down. Good has become evil. Evil has become good. And we have to decide now. Am I ready to count the cost to follow Jesus? Am I ready to sell everything I have to gain the treasure of the kingdom? 